Nowadays, we put a lot of AV on the ones and zeros. We have to make sure that it gets there with integrity. They want more features, but they want to see less hardware. We are very much focused on others just as an industry. This is the Market Scale Pro AV Show, hosted by Daniel Litwin, the voice of B2B. Your weekly B2B kickback for the best thought leadership in the industry, bringing you education, information, and inspiration. Sound check complete. Let's go. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Pro AV Podcast Show brought to you by Market Scale. Again, I'm your host, Daniel Litwin, the voice of B2B. It's great to be in the studio. It's late when I'm recording this, but it's probably going to be early morning when you listen to this, so love when those time zones just switch up <laughs> without any warning. But yeah, we're already seven shows deep on the Pro AV Podcast show. Obviously, we produced a lot of standalone content before then, but this structured once-a-week show, it's our seventh, and it's kind of hard to believe. Um, we've had a lot of diverse content on this show, a lot of different kinds of guests. Something we haven't actually talked about, though, is the combination of AV and furniture. Kind of a strange combo, right? Not something I think you would immediately think of as part of the AV world, but surprisingly, I learned a lot about it. I interviewed Aaron Rubner and Robert Parsons. They came into the studio and we had a really, really great conversation on the future of furniture imbued with Pro AV or just furniture that adorns and facilitates something like a huddle room or the modern workplace. It was really eye-opening as to how important design can be for the AV process. And I think integrators and uh, manufacturers know that. But once it gets to the business owner, you know, designing that space with a ton of Pro AV offerings, whether that's digital signage, whether that is video conferencing capabilities, or it's a huddle room with an interactive screen on a desk... The design aspect or the layout aspect maybe just isn't at the forefront of their mind. So that was a really interesting podcast. Keep an eye out for that. It's going to be on our page a little later, uh, probably next week. So keep an eye out for it. All right. So today's episode is called Light, Sound, and Art. I kind of want to do a play on lights, camera, action, but it didn't quite work. So you just get the light part of that. But yeah, again, Light, Sound, Art. This progression, I felt, was very thematic on this episode. We got to see a progression of how AV comes together to create brilliant structures and content that you just can't ignore. So let's break it down. For light, we're taking a look at advances in stage lighting, both practically and technically, to achieve richer aesthetics. We're going to be hearing from a professor of lighting design at Northern Illinois University. For sound, we're interviewing Matt Reiners. He's the co-founder and vice president of Eversound, and we bring him on for a wildfire segment, which is our B2B Under 30 podcast. We get to learn a little bit about how Eversound went from facilitating silent discos to providing listening devices for senior citizens. A really interesting progression. And finally, art. Market scale writer Beth Osborne focuses on how digital signage and innovations in the technology powering that digital signage can be more than functional. They can be art. So we're going to get that full progression. Let's dive right in. These are your Pro AV Podcast Minutes, brought to you by MarketScale. 
The 2019 ProLite Plus Sound and Music Mesh Show plans to be an exciting view into the past as visitors will be taken through 40 years of concert PA system development. The show, which will be held in Frankfurt, Germany from April 2nd to the 5th, will stage its first vintage concert audio show. The exhibition will feature more than 200 exhibits, including showcasing PA systems from the 60s, 70s, 80s, and 90s. The event will continue on April 6th at the Music Mess Plaza pop-up market. There will be vintage systems demonstrated at the show and a decade-linked audio panel discussion where sound engineers will explain the equipment used during that time period, as well as answer questions. The market research consultancy firm, FutureSource, has named manufacturer Epson as number one provider of projectors over 6K lumens across Europe, Middle East, Africa, Russia, and CIS. According to FutureSource, Epson has 34% of the professional AV market in these areas. The company experienced an increase of 12 percentage points over the same period last year. Epson has had a top global market share position for projectors for the past 17 years. Since 2006, the company has had global projector sales totaling $23.7 million. Separately, consultancy firm FutureSource is reporting that consumer interest in 4K UHD technology is rising. The continued rise in interest is receiving a further push due to average retail prices reaching parity with HDTV sets. Market analyst Tristan Veal says that the company expects annual 4K UHD TV shipments to power past 100 million units with the market continuing to grow with double-digit compound annual growth rates throughout the forecasting period to 2022. He adds that though consumer understanding of high dynamic range of HDR remains limited, the technology is beginning to make its presence felt and will be included in more than half of all 4K UHD TVs sold worldwide in 2018. I'm Maggie Shin. Thanks for tuning in to these Market Scale Pro AV Minutes. All right, it's lights, camera, action on lights, sound, art. Again, let's start with light. Market Scale host Elmer Guardado explores how important lighting can be in not only a work but an entertainment environment. Something as simple as good lighting can increase productivity, keep people at hotels longer, immerse them into live events, or even promote healthier body functions. Let's get some insight on how commoditization of LED has changed lighting design for the better. I'm Elmer Guardado, and on this feature, we're going to talk about stage lighting. Stage lighting has remained stagnant for decades, but now with the advent and affordability of LEDs, we're starting to see new possibilities on stage. Brandon Wardell, professional lighting and scenic designer and professor of lighting design at Northern Illinois University, joins us to talk about how this evolution has affected the theater landscape. Brandon's also going to talk about specific use cases that exemplify the industry's progress and about how the approach to teaching lighting design has completely evolved. So Brandon, why don't we start with... What have you seen in the space recently that really exemplifies how much lighting design has evolved over time? Uh, I mean, the, hands down, the biggest development is LED technology. 
uh, color-changing LED fixtures have absolutely changed the way we do everything. You know, even now in Europe, you see uh, the banning of the halogen, uh, tungsten halogen uh, lamps that that power most lighting instruments across the theatrical world. And uh, and while LEDs started out as sort of a gimmick, and I remember them not even being on the radar, right? Like I, you know, when I was in college, lighting instruments uh, that were designed in 1975 were still the standard. Uh, all of a sudden, the LED lights are cheap and they're bright and they work well, and that has caused a fundamental redesign of all lighting control technology. So it's just now in maybe the last five years that the light bulbs that are being used um, both professionally and in educational institutions uh, have sort of caught up with all of that. You know, there's there's a five to ten year lag for anyone but theaters at the highest levels when these technological changes start to happen. So it's just recently that um, that all of my incoming students in all of the theaters that I work at actually have the infrastructure to now control all of these LED and moving fixtures because they require um, a whole, I mean, a, a, a level of electronic um, control that's like a magnitude above what used to be required. Does that make sense? No, yeah, that does make sense. And, and I was, I was going to ask, like, has this, you know, dramatic change had any negative ripples? Has it hurt people that maybe, you know, were in this industry for a long time and now, you know, it might be too late for them to catch up? How are we seeing this affect the landscape? I mean, that is, that is definitely, that is definitely a danger. I don't know anyone personally who has suffered from that, but it's something that's on my mind a lot. Because, you know, whereas I used to be able to relamp a lighting instrument, replace some parts and do some things, if an LED goes bad, I have to take it to someone. It's just like your car. You know, like there's no carburetor to rebuild anymore. And uh, and so, so, like, I don't even know what to do. If something breaks, it's broken, as far as I'm concerned. Whereas if it was more of a traditional lighting instrument, which is really just a fancy household lamp, um, I could figure out how to fix that. Um, and so, so you know, it's most of the people who were running lighting shops in the past, like they haven't lost their jobs because this technology exists. I think it's actually more created a need for another sort of level of shop support. So if my stuff breaks, I need to have someone that I can call and send it to to get it fixed, as opposed to in the past, we could fix things in-house. So outside of losing, you know, that ease of, of understanding the nuance of the equipment and, and the ease of being able to fix it in-house, is there anything else we've lost, you know, through this transition? Anything that, you know, outside of just maybe nostalgia or, or reminiscing about, you know, those right. older light setups, is there anything we are losing perhaps outside of, you know, the, the ease of, of fixing things in-house? Uh, I mean, that, that's sort of an impossible question to ask, but I, I do actually, my, my, in my lighting design class, my first day is a history of lighting design, or the many ways we've tried to burn our theaters down over the last, you know, 500 years. And and every single time there's a paradigm shift, the 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 people who had become accustomed to what, what had been in the past complain. They say it's too bright, it's too colorful. You know, it's it's too this, it's too that, and and uh, and they have a hard time accepting what the new quote unquote new technology is. 
So that's true from when you went from outside theater to indoor theater, from when we changed from oil lamps to, to gas lamps, from gas lamps to electricity. Now we're sort of going from traditional electric lamps to, um, to LEDs. And every technology, you know, has its own pluses and minuses. LEDs are bright. They give us colors like we've never had access to before. But they don't dim as well. And uh, they actually can be, can be difficult for our eyes to process because of the way that the LEDs are, um, are, are built in the factory. So, so it's, it's a hard question to answer simply because it's not apples to apples. It's, it's, it's like what we were used to did some things really, really well and was really bad at, for example, making a really intense blue light on stage. That was really resource intensive. Now with two not very expensive lighting fixtures, I can make a deeper indigo blue than anything anybody's ever seen on stage before. Um, the other thing that LEDs are doing, which is I think going to be the, the bigger ripple effect, is that theaters no longer have to um, have so much power being brought into them. Right? Like we no longer need to have the power. Uh, for 500 dimmers because the LEDs don't care. They run off of, you know, uh, household uh, electrical voltage, either 110 or 220, and uh, and there may be 50 watts of power versus 1,000 watts, which is what, uh, you know, a lighting luminaire would have been that's just incandescent. So, so it's hard to, you know, it's hard to know what we've lost because it's so incredibly different. My mind, you know, I've, I've been doing this 20 years now. It, to my mind, things are a little less subtle than they used to be. But that also might be good for bringing the younger people of today into the theater. It could feel a little bolder, a little faster, like the other media that they're accustomed to. Right, right. No, that makes sense. And, and Brandon, my last question for you is, is more on the teaching side. You know, for, for someone who wanted to do this or was interested in this, how much has what you need to go through to, to master this, these processes changed with, you know, the advent of not only LED, but just how technology and digital programming has kind of changed this whole game? Yeah. <laughs> um, like every, I think everyone in my position says every year, you know, uh, it's interesting how students will come in on some level, knowing way more than I know about some of this technology, but then be completely ignorant of some of the other things that they need to know. So there is definitely a sort of learning from each other kind of uh, situation. Um, it's basically what I've done is I've had to adopt some new methods and some basically some new tools in, to include in my teaching practices. So I was trained to make make class on paper, you know, on 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 Zoom using a using a drafting table with a lighting template, and that's how I kept track of some handwritten documentation and all of that. And basically, the 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 second I graduated from grad school, the world went full on digital. So I just taught myself how to use some of these drafting programs, you know, because those 3D drafting programs that will do all of sort of the photometric math for you, that will tell you 
how many lumens are going to hit the stage at this particular place, what size and shape is it you know, like going to be, et cetera, and we'll keep track of all of the paperwork and do everything. And I taught myself at Vectorless, which is this program, and I've been teaching it now for a decade. Uh, and But then just maybe maybe five years ago, one of my students came in and he was really interested in sort of digital pre-visualization, meaning uh, a 3D engine where you can point lights at a thing and you can write light cues and it will show you sort of what those light cues are going to look like on stage. Well, I was really resistant to this. But after he showed me sort of his his first couple attempts to make this work, I got interested and I started working with it. And now I've actually included that uh, technology, which um, there are several companies that make it. The one that I use is Capture, which is based out of Sweden. But also there's WYSIWYG and there's ESP Vision. There's a whole bunch of different different softwares that allow you to use a virtual light board. So you can do exactly the same light board that is going to be in the theater, except it's on a computer. And you can build a 3D environment and then focus all of your lights and put color in them. And then you can literally light your, uh, write your light cues and they will be represented on the screen in um, in basically format as as the pre-visualizer can manage. And I mean, that technology is only getting better, and it's really only a matter of time until it's almost as good as what we're going to see, or I say good, that's a, that's a value judgment, almost as accurate as what we're going to see on stage. Because that's where, that's where it struggles right now. Like most things virtual, you know, it's, it's a good uh, simulation, but it's not quite there. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, no, I think, and you're right about we're seeing that through almost every industry, right, that has seen this, like, technology convergence, right, where they, we're just so close, but we still need that fine-tuning. Right. Well, and, and I, it's, it's, I can't remember whose law it is, but it's the, it's the processing power law, right? You know, it's, it's like every year, it doubles, and so it's, it's just crazy. And, and honestly, it's, it's sort of a computer arms race for big institutions like theaters and schools because we buy a computer thinking it's going to last for a long time and in three years it can't run anything, um, which is just wild. You know, like uh, I got a, uh, a, a $15,000 grant for a new light board seven years ago. And that light board runs uh, Windows XP. They don't even update the software for that light board anymore. It used to be that you bought a light board and it was good for 30 years. You know, it's 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 really it's really a different landscape. Are we at least seeing like that shift get fixed a little bit with uh, companies now trying to focus a little bit more on updatable software versus you know selling new hardware every year? Totally. And it's it's based. I mean, it's again, it's only a matter of time until until institutions aren't buying the expensive hardware. But they're buying um, access to the software because the software now runs on every computer. You know, I can run loading software from my Mac. I can run it on a PC. It doesn't care. It's not actually even that resource intensive. You just have to have a computer that's not going to try to update Windows in the middle of the show, which is a laughably common occurrence. Like people just get they just get hit by that all the time. But what is interesting is that all of these companies, because there are a lot, they're starting to build um, peripherals that can plug into your computer to make your computer more like a light bulb. So you might program half the show at home before you get into technical rehearsals, and you might go there and we'll program the rest on one light board, 
and then they might actually export that file to a different a different lighting board or lighting console and run it off of that one. Or they might just take a laptop, plug a bunch of stuff into it, and then you can pretend that it's a light board and it does playback exactly the same one. It's just that a light board is a, a fancy and extra robust computer that only lets you do the lighting things that you're supposed to be doing on it. Whereas with a, you know, a laptop or any other computer you can go on the internet or you can do various other things that might end up damaging the playback software. So I do think that it's uh, that that is sort of the wave of the future. It's just that these uh, lighting console companies are trying to stay ahead of the game by touch screens, by uh, including fancy motors and things like that 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 make the, the programming experience on the actual full-size console the best and most efficient. But they also are aware of what people are doing with their laptops. So if you're using a, a different company, MA Lighting, out of Germany, they, uh, they have a full-size version of their board, and then they have a light and an ultralight and a PC. And these are all different configurations of hardware, exactly the same software. So if you've got a really big show, yeah, you know, like it, it, it's, it's a really interesting adaptation that not everybody, to my mind, like absolutely everybody. Yeah, no, that that's incredible. And, and Brandon, thank you so much for, for sharing this with us and, uh, and for sitting down with us. I appreciate your time. Of course, absolutely. All right, so our second feature explores sound. We're bringing back an old sub-brand, Wildfire, the B2B Under 30 podcast. This was something, kind of a pet project of mine that I put together earlier in market scale history. Um, several months ago, we did quite, quite a few episodes, actually, getting a look at some of the best and brightest young stars who are innovating and taking leadership in the industry, and obviously it's all in the title, they are under 30. So today's guest is also under 30, Matt Reiners. He's the co-founder and vice president of Eversound, and he joined us on the Pro AV podcast to talk about, again, how Eversound went from facilitating silent discos to providing listening devices for senior citizens, a progression that I don't think anyone would have imagined, but something that he's found has been very fulfilling. He also explains why social isolation is such a big big deal at senior living facilities and how Eversound is trying to fight that. And finally, he provides some testimonials to show how Eversound is changing lives because how better to gauge if your product is doing well than by hearing it from the people who use it every day. All right, let's welcome Matt Reiners to the show and Market Scale host Tyler Kern. All right, joining me now on the Pro AV Podcast is Matt Reiners. He's the co-founder and VP at Eversound. Matt, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today, man. Thanks, Tyler. I appreciate you having me. So I could tell everyone what Eversound does, but you're probably better suited to do that, being the VP and you know one of the co-founders and all that. So uh, what does Eversound do and uh, what makes you guys unique? Yeah, so we are a company dedicated to ending social isolation um, for older adults and just improving their quality of life. Um, you know, how we do that today is through a group listening system that enhances the day-to-day -day activities that are happening in senior living communities. 
Yeah, so that's really interesting. So what is it about listening devices like what you're creating that really helps uh, helps eliminate some of that isolation in senior living facilities? Yeah, so what we find is that, you know, 80% of people over the age of 85 have some sort of hearing loss. You know, one of the first things when I was, you know, saw this happening with my grandmother was, all right, let's get her a hearing aid. But what we find is less than 20% of those that could benefit from a hearing aid are actually using one. And when they're using them in these like group programming situations, and when I say group programming, think of, you know, bingo, resident council meetings, worship services, movies, televisions, you know, fitness classes. Um, you know, hearing aids are picking up all the background noise and especially in these activity rooms that can be extra noisy. Um, you know, it's all that sound is really competing against each other and, and hearing aids aren't just aren't a good solution. So what we've designed is a super simple system that you can plug in really any audio source directly into a transmitter and it then broadcasts to all the headphones simultaneously. And the headphones are tailor-made to an elder adult user um, with individual volume control. And you see communities using this now for, you know, all sorts of, of daily programming. And since residents can hear, they're more likely to come out. They're more likely to engage and actually are, are feeling happier and, and more and feeling better after the conclusion of the program because they can actually hear and participate. Yeah, and, and you're talking about some of the benefits of it, and there are some discernible health benefits for senior citizens that are able to interact more with one another, that have that social interaction as opposed to being isolated, right? 100%. What you're finding nowadays, uh, you know, social isolation is a very hot topic in senior living. Um, you know, these publications are coming out. I think the AARP recently came out and said that, you know, prolonged stints of social isolation is equivalent to smoking 15 cigarettes per day, which, you know, the first time I hear that and every time I, I talk about it, it kind of always blows my mind. Um, and, you know, with that social isolation piece is definitely that loneliness as well. And, you know, other studies have come out and said that, you know, social isolation is going to be a greater health risk to healthy aging than obesity. And what we believe it plays a big role in that is, is hearing loss because you're not likely to go out to those social situations, you know, go out to dinner with your family, and you kind of just keep backing out and backing out so you're no longer participating. Yeah, that that makes a lot of sense to me. And you, you mentioned earlier just a, a personal story about your grandmother and how you kind of noticed that that, that played a role in it. Uh, are there other personal stories like that that kind of led you guys uh, to start this company that, that helped you guys see the need for this in the senior living centers? 100%. So myself, you know, I have my, my personal experience with my grandmother. Uh, my two other co-founders had older loved ones that they saw, you know, that were living with hearing loss and how that really impacted their day-to-day -day life. Um, you know, our one co-founder, Devin, his mama Bella, uh, who is currently 96, um, she actually lives at home with her daughter, but she has severe hearing loss um, and is living with dementia, actually. You know, she loves to watch television, but she can never hear what is going on. And, and with using Eversound, she's able, she's actually able to listen to her favorite shows, and she's actually laughing along with the jokes. And it's nice to see, too, that her daughter uh, is using Eversound to hold conversations with her, and, it, and she doesn't have to, like, get in front of her or yell at her, which is typically the way that you would communicate with someone that who has hearing loss. Um, and that was very similar to my experience with my grandmother when I would go visit her you know, having to basically yell at her for her to even hear me. 
Yeah, absolutely. And that, that creates just um, tough circumstances for the people that are caring for, you know, their elder loved ones. Um, just the, the that, that situation of not being able to communicate well and feeling like kind of helpless in those types of circumstances, that can certainly be a frustrating thing. 100%, man. And what you find a lot of the times, too, when, you know, even residents are talking to their doctors or their, you know, their PTs or OTs, they're not able to hear the instructions. And, you know, like, even at these fitness classes, and, you know, I, I can think of a story of a gentleman who understood the importance of going to fitness classes um, just for his own well-being. His vision wasn't the best. His hearing wasn't the best. And he would kind of just do his own thing. Um, but then after, you know, using Everstown, I remember getting a call from that community immediately after the fitness class. And they're like, David could actually participate. He could hear everything that was going on and did every move- movement that we asked him to do. That's pretty incredible. Th- th- do you have more stories like that that you could share with us uh, of situations where you saw specifically in senior citizens just how their lives were tangibly improved just from uh, being able to hear better? 100%, man. Um, yeah, so one of the, the stories that always sits with me, so we have a lot of communities that use Eversound for worship services, um, you know, because it's so important. And a lot of these communities are even having like daily worship. And we're actually working with a group in the Chicago area, Little Sisters of the Poor. And that's a community where like the nuns live and work at. Um, and they actually used Eversound at one of their worship services. And afterwards, one of their residents, um, who's 90 years old, went up to one of the nuns and said he felt like a, a, a Catholic again because he could hear the entire service. And it was the first time in five years that he had been able to do that. That is absolutely incredible. And you could just see those tangible benefits of, of people being able to be a part of a community. And, you know, I, I just know in my day-to-day life that uh, feeling like I'm part of a community, part of a group is so just important for mental health, physical health, uh, you know, emotional health, all of those different things. And so it's, that's, huge, that's huge work that you guys are doing. Appreciate it, man. Yeah, it's, it's pretty amazing. We hear, I think just today I heard a story of someone who'd used Eversound like for just a resident council meeting. And afterwards, as soon as someone put on Eversound, she's like, I can hear again and, and yelled out an exclamation about it. That's pretty, that man, that's incredible. But so let's, let's start off at the beginning though, because you guys didn't initially start off making headphones for, for senior citizens and listening devices. You guys started off in a different area. So kind of walk me through how you guys started um, with what you did in the, in the past and then how that transition happened and how, how you guys made that, that transition into what you're doing now. Awesome. Yeah. Great question. So yeah, we did not start out by making hearing devices for older adults. Um, We actually started as a company that was helping people throw silent discos around the country. Are you familiar with a silent disco? You know, I I saw something at at an event I was at recently, and it was the first time I'd ever come in contact with something like a silent disco. Awesome. Well, for those that, you know, don't know what a silent disco is, like imagine a room full of people dancing to no out loud music, and all the music is being played through wireless headphones. Um, it's probably one of the most absurd things you'll come across, as I'm sure as you experience, but um, people seem to love it. You know, a big reason that people are throwing these events from what I find is, is to get around noise restrictions because you can have, you know, a party basically at any time, anywhere, because you're not going to have that loud music being played. You probably will hear some pretty terrible singing voices, though, I might add. Um, and then we find companies really like to do those events because you can have multiple channels operating simultaneously. So you see people promoting it as like a DJ battle. So about, you know, six and a half years ago, um, my co-founder, Jake, who was a college student at the time, 
you know, he put together this business plan uh, that had a company that was, you know, helping people around the country throw these silent disco events. I, at the time, was about, you know, 10 months out of college, out of my bachelor's degree, you know, 22, 23. And he had approached me and asked me to help start this company with him. Um, and from there, you know, we had really no idea what we were doing. We're doing a lot of cold calling and, and what we saw and, and, you know, just want to let you know, like, we didn't come up with that concept by any means. Uh, where we saw an opportunity was that there was other companies throwing these silent disco events, but they were production companies. So they would travel around, staff the event, market the event, um, you know, DJ the event, provide lighting crews, you know, the whole kit and caboodle. But we found that no one was really partnering with other production companies, event planners, DJs, to really throw these services as it was their own. Um, so that was really where, you know, our big focus was. And, you know, I will admit early on, we definitely went to some events and, you know, helped to throw these events. I remember one of the first events we did, we just put all the headphones into our car and drove to, drove to the Museum of Modern Art down in New York City. Um, and we were in upstate New York at the time. And uh, they did like a 500 person event down there. And that was definitely one of our, our first larger contracts that we worked. Wow, that's incredible. And you went from that moment of, uh, you know, that, that you said that changed everything all the way to, uh, to today where you were uh, named in the Forbes 30 under 30 list. How did that feel just being part of that uh, kind of a prestigious list there? Yeah, so we were definitely humbled and, you know, totally grateful for that opportunity. You know, I think that it, it doesn't just speak to myself and our co-founders who were named, but our entire team who are putting in, you know, the man hours day in and day out. You know, so apart from just us being named to the list, it was really a team award for all of us. Um, but, you know, totally humbled and totally grateful to be a part of that. And, uh, yeah, excited to, you know, continue to give back in any way that I can to, to future list makers or just people looking to get advice. Yeah. And, uh, you know, that that list kind of brings into uh, into the conversation your age, which you are, you guys are still really young. Uh, have you found that your age has been uh, a hindrance at all when you go into these senior living centers or is it embraced because you're young people that are taking an interest in, in this line of work? Yeah, great question. I would say it's been more embraced. Um, so, you know, working with millennials in this industry today has become, become such a hot button. Like, how can we, you know, get people that are millennials to work in these communities? Because what you're finding in a lot of these organizations, the C-suite have all been there for 30, 40 years. And, you know, people are starting to retire. So they're looking at this, this hotbed of talent and uh, really trying to see how they can work with them. Um, and I know people have leaned on us and like how the best way to work with millennials and, and really get them into the industry. But I think a lot of the times and what we're finding is, you know, we're coming from a good place. You know, we're a very value and mission driven company looking to really help, um, you know, those residents. And I would say a lot of the companies that have been around in this industry for, you know, 20 for 30 years, like what we're doing and they're supporting us and, and trying to help us. Um, so I think, you know, being a millennial, especially in the senior living industry, it has been a benefit to us thus far. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, now I'm wondering, like, what, what's next for Eversound? You know, you uh, is it a new product? Is it, uh, ve you know, venturing into maybe like a different avenue of things? Or is it just further expansion and getting into more more facilities and that sort of thing and, and uh, expanding your reach? What, what's coming next for you guys? Yeah, great question. So right now the focus is to really expand the number of communities that we're helping. Um, you know, we're looking to create a series of products that really help, um, you know, minimize social isolation, whether that's hearing or other, you know, 
SaaS platform. So that's really what the focus is here. But over the next 12 to 18 months, we'll probably launch another product that I can't get into the specifics on, but uh, also just expanding that reach and trying to impact as many people as possible. That's really exciting for you guys. And uh, congratulations on being named in that uh, 30 under 30 list. It's really exciting work what you guys are doing. And also just really great because it's not just that you're, you're young and you're successful. It's that you're also helping people. And so there's that, there's that dual nature to what you do that I think makes this a, a really great story and makes it something that uh, I'm excited to, to highlight what you're doing in this industry. Well, I appreciate it, man. We're, we're excited to get the word out there. And you know, I would recommend if anyone's looking for something to do that gives them passion and gives them meaning, you know, look to the senior living space, especially those that are millennials or anyone in general. It's just, it's an amazing field that is growing, you know, with the baby boomers retiring and there's a lot of opportunity to help a lot of people. That is awesome. That is Matt Reiner. She's the co-founder and vice president at Eversound. Matt, thank you so much for joining us here on the Market Scale Pro AV podcast. Awesome. Thank you so much, Tyler. got lights we got sound let's explore the art now right so bringing together the lights and the sound bringing together all the tech to create something more than just functional pro av something artistic creative original we get to hear from beth osborne she's a frequent market scale writer she explored how trends like interactive and personalized content especially using technology like iot devices can change digital signage into art and make that content art as well it's becoming a really sophisticated way for interiors to change on the fly and the value of high quality content is just continuing to increase right because low quality content isn't going to get you the returns you want She also lives in Las Vegas, so she gets to see digital signage on a pretty consistent basis and knows what those big changes are that are rocking the industry. So let's hear from Beth. All right, Beth, great to have you joining us on the podcast. I always love sourcing our writers and getting their takes on the stories they're working on and really just trying to do some cross promotion here and some cross insight. So hope you enjoy putting your voice to good use because I know you're always putting your writing to good use. Well, I'm very glad to be here and love to talk about digital signage and content and the topics we're going to address today. Definitely. So yeah, let's dig into that topic. Uh, You were working on an article currently that is looking at digital signage content as art. So balancing both the artistic side, the creative side of digital signage, as well as the functional and practical side. So expand a little bit on what you're exploring and what you found so far. Okay, I'll start off by saying I live in Las Vegas and I really the, can the, the capital of digital signage. Yeah, I consider it the Mecca here. Like yeah. um, anything that is going to be a hot trend probably starts here. Um, so the the digital signage as art is actually a very cool um, way to use it. So there are several resorts and casinos here that have digital signage everywhere basically in the elevators um you know all this kind of thing but they aren't necessarily always using it to sell or inform which are typically the two big things that digital signage is going to do Mm -hmm. they're using it to create really cool backdrops 
that change and almost put you into a happier mood. They're doing a lot of things right now for the holidays. So there'll be different holiday scenes and stuff like that. But there's movement, there's animation, and then it changes to another scene. And it's really cool. Uh, One place that they have it that I think is really neat and how it really plays out is that um, at check-in. So check-in for hotels can be a long line a lot of times. So you're sitting there, you're probably tired, you know, you just want to get checked in or whatever. So have these really cool, long um, digital signage right there wrapped around different um, areas where you're queuing. And it just kind of puts you in a better mood and makes you feel excited to be there. It's fun to look at. Um, it's, it's almost soothing in a way. Um, so that's a really cool thing that we're seeing. And I think we'll continue to see, especially in upscale places right. that want to actually give you an experience because it's everybody wants an experience now when they go right. to a restaurant or they go into a retail or whatever. It's not just about eating the food or buying the products. It's about an experience. And that's a way that, you know, different settings and environments can create that without having to, you know, put a lot of money into, I don't know, like, famous art or things like that. Plus they can change it whenever they want to, which is really, you know, another great thing about digital signage. Yeah. And I'm really glad you brought up the idea of customers being a little savvier and looking for that experience in all of their outings, uh, because I think it puts the designers and the business owners who are wanting to bring Pro AV great digital signage into their restaurant or the hotel, it sort of sets the bar higher because now you can't just sell, hey, check it out, we have this signage. People are starting to seek it out. So the novelty of it is sort of starting to diminish. Now they need to really invest in high quality content. So yes, they need the install, but then once it's there, whatever is being shown, whatever they're using to create some really immersive art needs to be high end. It needs to really feel unique and intentional and not just thrown together. Is that something that you saw while putting this together? Yeah, absolutely. Um, Content is still very much king in digital signage. If you do not at this point have high quality content that's relevant or resonates with your audience or viewers, then there's, then you should probably just take your, take your LEDs down. Right. Um, <laughs> but back to an experience. So not only um, are we seeing that with great visuals and kind of background stuff, but the experience in the store with digital signage is becoming more personalized. And that's with sensors and IoT devices so that you can interact with the, with the screens. You can scan a product and find out if it, you know, what the price is, if it's on sale, what, what, you know, what they have in stock, say it's a shirt and you want it in a different color, do they have it? That's all immediately available, that information, so that people don't have to run down sales associates and do all those kind of things. And then, you know, your associates on the floor can 
be doing better things than running back and checking inventory, right? You know, that kind of thing. There's also the fact that these sensors and stuff can detect when people enter certain areas of a store. So I was in a, a retail store recently and I went into their cosmetics area. And as soon as I went into that area, digital signage started playing about cosmetics. So it knew I was there. It knew I was looking at cosmetics. Um, so it gave me a more relevant, personalized, you know, message Um so those are really cool things. It's almost like they're clairvoyant a little bit, but it all goes back to data and, and real-time information um, that it's gathering from people being in certain areas or being interested in certain products that they're scanning. Um, it's it's really come so far. And, and not a long period of time. I mean, digital signage has been around for been mainstream for over a decade but to make that leap um and it's being really fueled by these iot devices and big data and things like that which is really cool to see because i think emerging technologies like that are most powerful when they are working together yeah iot is great yeah digital signage is great but imagine if you put both of their strengths together Obviously, that's what you're seeing now, and personalized content is going to continue to be king because people want that authentic experience. They want to feel like whatever they're getting at their restaurant, at their hotel, at their retail location is tailored to them. So if the digital signage can accomplish that as well, you know, as does the human interaction and the service, then you really elevate your space to the next level. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um so in my many years of dealing with digital signage content, I've always, always stressed the importance of having great content and making it relevant. Um, another thing I think we're seeing too is very focused content. Um, it's a little bit in the personalized realm, but very focused content on very specific things. Um, something I used to say to different companies when I worked with them on digital signage is, what do you want to sell? What's the most important thing, um, you know, that you want to sell at this time? And created content kind of around that. And another great thing about it is that can change. You can play content based on time of day or, or other different triggers, um, like I was talking about when I was in the store. Um, so all of this kind of comes together and content creators are really having to step up their game and think about the overall experience and how this specific content can, A, you know, meet the needs of the audience and be relevant to them and B, help the brand or the company that, you know, that is controlling the digital signage. Well, Beth, I really want to thank you for jumping on the podcast and giving us your insight. Uh, everyone, make sure you read this article. It's on our ProAV page. And again, it's exploring how digital signage needs to not only be treated as art, but something functional, and how IoT devices are helping empower that. Beth, always great to have you on here. I'm sure we'll hear from you again soon. Great. Thank you. All right, everyone, unfortunately, that does it for today's episode of the Market Scale Pro AV Show. 
I hope you enjoyed this little thematic progression, light, sound, art. I think it just really came together naturally, and getting to hear about technical specificities, but I think more importantly, getting to hear from people that are just so passionate about what's happening in their industry, specifically Matt Reiners. I mean, just getting to hear the way he explained the progression of his company going from silent discos to senior citizens, it's pretty inspiring and goes to show that, yeah, you can have a plan for your company, you can have a plan for your life, and it can all change in an instant, and you can find some passion in that change or in that uncertainty. So again, thank you everyone for listening to today's episode. If you'd like to find out more or listen to previous ones, you can head to marketscale.com slash industries and subscribe to previous podcasts, articles, and video content from your favorite industries. And make sure to leave a rating and a comment wherever you listen to your podcast content. I'm your host, Daniel Litwin, the voice of B2B. Till next time.